mantra, the little horse that I had to keep in a stall just to go in and feed him, the horse that, you know, would have just as soon killed me as anything. And from there, he's my best recall. This little guy kicks his heels up and comes at a dead gallop because he's so happy that I just gave him his recall. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. A place where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on Wiradjuri country, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I now live on is Waka Waka and Terrible country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my deep respects to their ancestors, past, present and future. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Eden River Equestrian, Australia's fresh and new sustainable horse brand. We stock Borstick brushes. They're handmade in Sweden from sustainable hardwood and natural bristles. If you'd like to see more, go to EdenRiverEquestrian.com to check them out. In this episode, I speak with Peggy Hogan from Clicker Training Horses. Peggy has been around for a long time in the world of positive reinforcement, and she has something amazing to teach us. As with so many trainers of this style, she is open and willing to teach so much as she has seen positive reinforcement transform the horse-human relationship time and time again. Peggy speaks with passion and a wonderful energy and has such an incredible wealth of knowledge. You are going to love her story. Grab a cuppa or enjoy the drive while listening to the wonderful Peggy Hogan. Peggy, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, I appreciate the invitation and it's a wonderful service that you're providing to people to be able to talk about horses in this supportive environment and I really appreciate being a part of your your group and being able to share what I do with them. Thank you so much. We love having you as part of the community. It's like it's like a growing family this podcast and community, so it's it's beautiful to have you as a part of it. Can you first tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Well, I kind of bring an interesting blend of <laughs> my background, but basically I am teaching people how to use positive reinforcement and specifically clicker training with their horses and improve the relationship with their horses because of the use of this positive reinforcement. And mm-hmm. I travel, I teach people, I do clinics, I have private clients, I teach people online. So I really am um, motivated to get this information out there because it is so meaningful to me. And I'm sort of on, this is my mission, this is my purpose. Ah, beautiful. So let's get into that real story and the blend of things that you bring to us. Did you grow up with horses? Um, great question. I I grew up, we couldn't afford it, but I was on a horse from the time I knew what one was because I was that wild about him. And um, my family and my mom was gracious enough to realize I was smitten and she was a farm girl. So she would take me to the local stables and we would rent a horse and put me on it and I would learn to ride. We had some formal lessons, but basically I learned by 
riding in back in those days in Griffith Park, if you can believe it, that's in Los Angeles. I would be riding a rented horse through the Griffith Hills. Um, (laughs) We did those things then, and uh, I got to the point where I bought my own bareback pad, and I wanted to ride the horse without the saddle, and and then they were they would reserve. And why was that? I just like the feeling. Ah, You know, as a kid, that just felt more fun to me. And I did, you know, silly things and explored uh, places. I had a friend once who had her own horse, and there was a place she liked to ride. And we took off into the hills, and there was a lake. And I just thought it would be fun to swim <laughs> with this horse. <laughs> I just rode the horse into the water. It's like, wait, Peggy. But um, it was an interesting feeling because suddenly the bottom dropped out because the horse went into dog paddling. But Basically, it's not like sitting on him while you're riding. So it was a really fun experience. I had my arm around his neck and it's like, well, this isn't what I expected, but it was a good experience. So I survived my adventures. Uh, And then later in college and stuff, I would ride other people's horses for them and exercise horses. So I kept with that and then uh, finally was able to get one of my own. Did you choose a college that, um, did you study anything to do with horses or were you heading in a different direction back then? I didn't. And my whole life has been about heading in different directions and how uh, these directions basically brought me here. I mean, it's really fascinating to me when I look back and I go, wow, that's not what. I always wanted to train animals, but I went to college for music. And studied music and piano, and I've actually taught music uh, my entire life, uh, career life, as well as been involved with horses. So um, it's an interesting background. Music brings a lot, and I find that my training reflects the rhythm and tempo that is just a part of learning music, but that's another story. But my background is in music as well. And the, and the dance and the feel for what it is that you're doing. Isn't it true? Yeah. Timing, rhythm. You know, Bob Bailey talks about timing and rhythm. I got that. Yeah. And then practice. I think about how I learned to discipline myself and practice. Because if you're going to perform a piece and you don't have the music in front of you, and it has to be from memory and it has to be learned and it has to be learned well. So I learned how to break things into small, small learnable bites and my training really reflects that i'm i'm good at breaking a task down into small learnable um sections so it's kind of fun how it all works together yeah i have a very strong belief that everything you do in life leads you to your purpose in some way i have some interesting things in my background as well and i think what on earth was that for and it was just teaching me a new lesson something else that I needed to gather for my toolkit and my foundation to be able to do what I do now. I'm with you. I'm with you. I got a master's in counseling psychology uh, because I wanted to be a better teacher. Mm. Uh, and it was in a different brand of psychology in terms of, or a different um, method. Uh, it's not like behaviorism, which I'm really fascinated with and had some background in that too. And they, those two um, fields of psychology kind of like to bicker with each other as a square off. And, but I, I think it's fascinating to see how those two fields actually can complement each other. So like you said, it's an interesting journey to see how everything blends together to put us where we are. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened after college? Uh, life and uh, 
grad school later and continuing teaching. And then I started, uh, I made, drew the line in the sand and it's like, it's time for me to own my own horse. I'm done riding other people's horses. And when I got that horse, I realized there were more things I needed to learn about formal training. And I dove into the first deep dive was natural horsemanship. And I'm, I'm going to say, I don't want to say OCD, but I'm pretty obsessive. When I do want to do something, I'm going to do it full on. So I organized probably 30 to 50 clinics in this area and brought every clinician I could in and studied in lessons and traveled so that I could learn wow. about natural horsemanship. And um, and then started working with kids and teaching kids in that as well as my music. Uh, and then I had an interesting experience and I was working with a horse and I was using the natural horsemanship techniques. And I thought I was doing a pretty decent job. This horse was doing some things that could be considered dangerous and I needed to step in. But when I was done with that training, which was pressure release, but I turned around and looked at these little kids uh, and I could tell by the looks on their faces that I was the wicked witch of the West that they couldn't figure out why I had used those techniques. I mean, it was really a stark wake-up call. Wow. Um, I didn't like the way I felt inside if I used escalating phases of pressure, but it still was an effective tool. But then I turned around and saw these little faces. It was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Okay, big changes. Time to make some big changes. And um, then I found Peggy Cummings, who's a phenomenal trainer and learning about body awareness and what the horse's body needs to do and how our body affects that horse and how just sitting or touching, just the act of touching the horse can create brace. So I studied with her and, and then during that time, I heard about Alexandra Kurland. I always like to throw a shout out to her. Uh, and pretty much then, like a lot of us back then, late 90s, just said, well, there's not a lot out there, so I'll do it and I'll see what I get. So um, I started just improvising and doing my own program. And I, I kind of like to say to people, you know, it doesn't hurt to experiment if there's nothing out there. And yet, if there is, go on ahead and learn from the, what other people have done so that there might be things like Susan Friedman. Dr. Susan Friedman is a huge inspiration. And she says, you know, we need to be caref careful of this, the approach of like, let's throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would say to the people now experimenting, um, you know, get guided experimenting because you don't have to go it alone. Whereas we were really true just out there trying to figure out how to make ends meet. And that didn't work so well. So I started um, finding with, people like Ken Ramirez and I started exploring what the other people in the industry of different species were doing with their animals. And I got a tremendous amount, a tremendous amount of watching other people train different species. And, and then I, I don't want to just, one last thing was the self-imposed, basically on my, myself, I put some boundaries in there that was, I'm not going to use the tools that I learned. 
and I have a horse standing in front of me and I need to get from A to B and I'm only going to use positive reinforcement. Now what do I do? So that was really a good learning experience for me because I just gave up all my tools and said, all right, let's start. And it made me implement what I was learning. So I don't, again, people can choose their path and how they want to do it. But that's what worked for me because I couldn't grab my carrot stick or I couldn't grab the lead rope or I couldn't grab any other thing. And I didn't want to walk into the animal applying lots of pressure. So it's like, well, what do I do? Use wow. these other tools. Yeah. But that's just me. I like and, to. and you did that first with your horse? Yes, yes. I didn't subject any other horses <laughs> to that. Who is um, your horse that you did this with? Tell us about your his horse. Name, his name uh, is, was Buck. I had him until he was 29. I got him at 16, and he actually was a really tough horse. His tongue had almost been severed from a bit. So even the stuff I did with him with the natural horsemanship, um, we – we did some things that really did help. And, you know, I took the bit out of his mouth. I wrote him in a rope halter. A lot of things I did with him that were really, really good. But boy, when I started adding positive reinforcement in carrots, it just was a dynamic difference. And in the meantime, I got two other full-size horses, uh, Nikki and Buckwheat. So they're both 26 and 25. So I've had them since they were three. Oh, and Wow. Yeah, and they're basically, Nikki has had almost all positive reinforcement in her life with me. Buckwheat was kind of my crossover horse. Uh, and then again, with the work that I got from Peggy, I will always treasure that work. And then I and then I ended up with five rescue minis, horses that were given to me because the people said they can't do anything with them. And so I learned a great deal with them. And then I started training for a person who had um, a bunch of minis on a farm, breeding farm, and they needed some help. And so I started training lots and lots of little ones, which was and fun. is there a difference, do you believe, between training big horses and little horses? Have you, do you, have you ever played with a mini, Tracy? Yes, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> Don't you think they're just like wild fun? Yeah. I, yeah. They're Crazy fun and super smart. Yeah, and cheeky and bold and, yeah. Sometimes I wonder just um, if you think about their size and the number of repetitions we can create with them just because they're little, we can train three times as fast because mm. they're so small so we can get in lots more repetitions. I've wondered about that. Um, but I've, I used to think they were a nuisance. Honestly, it was like, uh, who would own a mini? And now I, could, I would have an ocean of minis if I could. Yeah. Just love them. Wonderful. And did you learn anything about your training, transitioning to minis there? Or was it just? Even more so, yes, in that, you know, it is just bad form to use a carrot stick on a mini. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Hello. You know, it was even uh, to me, and I don't want to um, stomp on too many toes here, but it it doesn't take much pressure, and they're tiny, and you don't want to use a lot of pressure on those little heads. You think about their their neck and their vertebra and their spine, their pole, all of those things to be using. And I do see people... Uh, use a lot of heavy-handed techniques with minis, and I hear about it more on Facebook, 
And it's like, but wait, you guys, this is an animal the size of a dog, but we're using full-size horse techniques with them. It's, it's uh, hard to watch that, and it certainly isn't necessary. In, yeah. And they're easy to force because they're little, and you can <laughs> push them around when you don't want to take the time to, um, to, to stop and listen. That's what I found when I had a little mini was that he was actually, I thought he was the most, when I first got him, uh, most stubborn horse I'd ever met, and I finally realised that he was the most sensitive horse I'd ever met and that it took less, that I could do so much more with him um, than any of the other horses that I had just through just stripping it all back. And he was like, when you're like this with me, I'm with you. The moment you're not, I'm going to shut down and make your life hard. Isn't that an amazing story? I, I agree. They are sensitive. Um, and it doesn't take much pressure. We can apply massive amounts of pressure and not even really realize it because we're thinking horse, not teeny little creature here. Yeah. And again, the ones that I got um, did not respond to pressure. One little horse I got, I didn't even go in a stall with him for two weeks. Tracy, I wouldn't even go in the stall with him because he was that dangerous. It was rear strike, kick, bite. He was going to take me out best he could. Wow. And the treasure. I mean, I just love him. I, I, his nickname is Hellboy, but <laughs> his real name is Mantra. And he's a treasure. But I do know if somebody were to go in there and start, you know, demanding with pressure, he would turn into a marlin on the yeah. end of a line. Yeah. What are you doing? Bless his heart. <laughs> Great. What happened next? Oh, my goodness. Well, from the crossover and the exploration of, you know, clicker training and Peggy's work, I was working with a friend and we did these kid camps, uh, overnight kids camps, and that was wonderful. And then I started making videos just for fun because I realized how effective positive reinforcement was. And I started posting videos on YouTube just so people could see it. I really had no intention of trying to make any dent like I'm making now. In other words, I just wanted to share the information. And people started asking questions and, can you show us what you're doing? And can you come and show us what you're doing? And then can you train my horse? And then, well, can you come to this state and show us what you're doing? And then adding the online groups, it, it grew. And I, I think the timing is right. And, you know, um, the demographics of women and horses, I think reflects the people that are asking for my help because the women that are training their horses, you know, we've, we've got an interesting demographic, right? Women basically what 40 to 60. Yeah. And they don't want to hit their horses anymore. Yeah. They're done with that. And they're seeking other methods. And they're willing to embrace something different. And I think that's pretty wonderful and powerful myself. I, I like to think that we're sort of changing the world uh, through even being this gender. And I'm not gender slamming. I really think we're having an impact um, in this age group and gender. Yes, I agree. And really? simply simply because the stats show that. 
It's not that men um, can't do it. It's that women are doing it. It's really oh, that's well that said. simple. Yeah, absolutely. It's not that men can't do it. It's that the women are doing it. Yeah, literally. True. The clinic I just did, a wonderful group of people in Texas um, just got home. And it was all women, some young women. There was one father, I just wanted to hug him. He would, sat there for two days, or one day, with his 15-year-old daughter who wanted to see what this was about and learn more because she had heard I was there. And he sat there the whole day, <laughs> outgunned, outnumbered, but sat there with his 50-year-old daughter. I just wanted to say, you rock. You absolutely yeah. Because there are men that do it and they're very brave and wonderful men because for women it's more easy for us to step into this positive reinforcement mode. It must be a lot harder for men to actually be brave enough to go, I'm I'm going to be vulnerable here with my horse and I don't need to um, use any of the old traditional power over methods anymore. It's 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 massive, the men that are coming through. They're just women leading the way in this area. It is true. It's true. The ratios change. But I've met some, like you described it, absolutely wonderful men that are embracing this and are willing to, to, you know, lay down those other tools and say, all right, let's see what this is about. That's a joy. That's really a joy. Yeah. Everyone's definitely invited into the space. That's what I love about this space the most and this community is there is no, um, whilst there's a, the stats are showing us that there's a, a major demographic of women from 40 to 60, it does not dis, um, not include anyone. It doesn't say you can't do this. It's such an inclusive space and a positive space and a uplifting space for everyone. That's what I love about it the most. It's true. It is uplifting. And, um, and we're working on it, aren't we? I mean, there's, uh, we just got through this wave of natural horsemanship and now people are saying, but wait, wait, use food, use food. And there are people that are saying, I just got done putting all my time and energy into learning this other thing. And yet, do I really want to start another thing? And uh, so we're kind of facing that, but in the same breath, I'm saying, wait, don't you want, don't you want all the tools? I love the fact that I had that background and I can um, put it in a place where I understand why and how and um, yet still fully embrace this. So it's, I like the fact that my toolkit is pretty, pretty educated. Um, you know, it's full. It's a, that to me is the full toolbox, the both having the history and then being able to lead the way into this. Absolutely. I agree with you. I talk about toolkits a lot, that we're all just bringing our toolkit. And I really look forward to seeing um, when I'm still doing this in 10 years time, where we are then, because I don't think this is the end. I think this is the opening to something really exciting. I think this is laying another foundation. So, um, Oh, I hope so, Tracy. Yeah. I really hope so. Yeah. It's happening. It's grown since the time, you know, I think I posted my first YouTube video, like, I don't know, 2007, something like that is when I actually posted the video. And so 12 years later, it's amazing that I'm traveling internationally to, to share this. And I still kind of want to look over my shoulder and say, but wait, you know, don't <laughs> me really. I mean, I, I, but I'm glad to share the information, and I think my teaching background has helped in the manner in which I deliver it. But 
I'm glad I'm, I'm here. I want to share it. I want more people to know just how amazing horses are when they're earning their reinforcers. They're incredible. <laughs> tell, me, tell me a story, like an example. Put it into a story for us. Ah, thank you. Uh, just like Mantra, the little horse that that I had to keep in a stall just to go in and feed him, the horse that, you know, would have just as soon killed me as anything. And starting with protected contact where I tossed pellets into a bucket and even the sight of me was alarming and would uh, cause him to want to do battle but I could toss pellets and back up and toss pellets until well, he realized that I was the one tossing the pellets. And going from there to, ooh, I have to put my hand on the gate to toss the pellet into the buck. Oh, you know, the bucket. So I put my hand on the gate and I tossed the pellet into the bucket. And so he was able to realize my hand wasn't going to do anything. And I worked very, very slowly with that. Um, move my body while he ate the food that I had tossed into the bucket. You can see I really, really get into the tiny details with it. But from there, to have him, um, I've got a really fun video of this. He's my best recall. And um, his recall sound is yoo-hoo only really, really loud. You know, imagine going yoo-hoo really loud. Like, I'm not going to do it to our yeah. microphone. Yeah. Blow us off the planet. But this little guy kicks his heels up and comes at a dead gallop because he's so happy that I just gave him his recall. And I mean, what an amazing change. What an amazing change with behaviors where he will walk with me at liberty and um, stay with me. I call him my escort. He's a little bit like my knight in shining, shining armor. He's bigger than a mini. He's a little bit bigger. He's not quite pony size, but um, you know, on the big side for a mini. And I just wonder, and I think, how can this have been so undiscovered in him? And all it took was, and I'm not going to say all, let me back up. I think it takes create, uh, a fair amount of creativity to set it up so that the animal thinks that they're learning from their experience and what they're learning is that they can get what they want. So for me, training is just exactly that. I want the animal to learn that their behavior matters to me and that if they try certain things, then there's payoff. Mm. So in that regard, what I think I opened the door for Mantra was that he was willing to offer things, offer behavior, and trust that I, for the most part, was going to reciprocate with something he wanted. And then it was my job to set it up so that he had a chance to guess easily what I wanted. Does that make sense? I mean, I think that's the key. It's a dialogue. Again, Dr. Susan Freeman, dialogue training. The animal guesses. I reaffirm and say, yes, I really like that. What do you think about this? And when I say, what do you think about this? I don't say it by asking them to do something. I say it by reinforcing their next guess. So I kind of went from story into theory, didn't I? But it's great. It's perfect. It's it, it, McKee, my smartest little horse ever. 
who I've done match to sample and concept training and teaching him scent, uh, scent discrimination. And this little horse is so smart, it's scary. And he was a gift horse. Taken, he's crazy. Literally, those are the words. As a yearling, taken, he's crazy. That's another pattern I've seen over time. Just like the women from 40 to 60, that pattern emerges all the time. That They are the horses that have changed the horse world. Yes, take him, he's crazy. Mm. Yeah. And, and we're the ones that are willing to say, okay, I'm going to work with this. You know, Lord bless us. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure, I'll take him. Yeah. But McKee did not want to be touched. And so, okay. And oh, I wanted to hug him and scratch him, but nah, -uh, that isn't, that was not what he had in mind. But I did start training with positive reinforcement. And we worked for years together where I could brush him and little things like that, but I never pushed that issue. And I certainly didn't try and make his mane and tail gorgeous. It was, I respect the fact that this animal didn't want to be touched. But I played a little game where I would scratch his withers and give him a bite of food. And, and this is going to sound crazy to some, and yet this is how patient I am and how much I trust the process, Tracy. Mm -hmm. I did that for eight years before one day he started wiggling his lip. Like, you know, I kind of like that scratching thing you do. Wow. Eight years of just, I'm not going to make you like it, buddy. But here, scratch, 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 have a bite of pellets. And now he's one of my, I mean, he... He almost falls over. He's so ecstatic. Wow. And I can scratch him. And I, I rarely pay him with food anymore for the scratching. I mean, he is truly into it. He's so cute. It's amazing. Eight years is a long time, and I didn't force that issue on him. Like, okay. But we were training all of these phenomenal things, working at Liberty and doing all of these incredible things. Just don't touch me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the um, the time and the trust to be able to release trauma with a horse that was that traumatised um, without actually doing direct trauma work. You've actually done the little steps that have helped to release the trauma along the way. It's beautiful. And and to that end, I, I like to say um, I there's a wonderful, you know, people talk about classical conditioning and systematic desensitization and habituation. My trek through that to help the horses become desensitized or actually embrace that we've got a conditioned emotional response. My trek through that is through operant behaviors. In other words, I just kept training. Let me have, you know, thank you, I can scratch you a little and here's a bite of food. So I have taken that approach to desensitization, not will you stand there while I do this here? You know, they, they actually actively can seek it. And I do use some desensitization, but I have found it's kind of an interesting process. An example would be setting up a saddle so that the horse could actually move under the saddle or back under the saddle and it would slide onto their back because they learned that the reinforcing you know, the reinforcer would show up when they did make contact with the saddle themselves. Mm. I didn't throw it on them. I didn't put it on them. I positioned it so they could saddle themselves. It's beautiful. And it, it changes everything, doesn't it? You know, in my mind, it's just like when the horse is making the choice to do that, because they understand the training. And even a horse that 
doesn't really want to be saddled is making the choice between is the treat and the reward I get for this more than wanting the saddle or not wanting the saddle on my back and they get to judge that themselves and they get to do it in their own time and they get to the powerful word they get the choice in those moments and do it in their own time and judge Mm. it for themselves and Susan Friedman again I quote her a lot but I've heard her suggest, which is, I think, powerful, that control is a primary reinforcer. In other words, control over the outcome is as important as food and water. I've started thinking that way and training that way so that when they say, yeah, bring it on, I'm going to lean into this pointy object, which could be the start of conditioning and working with uh, shots. I'm going to lean into this discomfort because it's worth it to me, but they have a choice to have it not happen. Yeah. Tracy, have you ever seen the video of the hyena, the, the no. volunteer blood draw? Oh my God. There's this amazing, this was early on a uh, course I took from Dr. Friedman. And there was this video of a hyena that was in protected contact and he leaned against a chain link fence. So he pushed his own neck to the point where it exposed the artery in his neck. So his head was tilted really high, neck was stretched up. And the trainer palpated the vein, touched it, patted it, and then put his needle in and took blood, which means the animal had to stay there. Wow. Stay there, pressed against the chain link fence. And then when she withdrew the needle, she put her finger on it. So he had to stay there and wait. Until the you know um, vein closed off, which was several many more seconds, and then she gave it a marker signal and gave it a chunk of meat. It was like, oh, what? <laughs> what wow. did I do? Today? And what am I doing? You know, we're doing what to horses, and we have a hyena, a completely non-domesticated animal that's volunteering for a blood draw. Yeah, it is incredible. It's incredible. Those things are so inspiring. They're beautiful. I went to a zoo here in Australia and I heard the story of an elephant. I will condense it, that the elephant was in a circus and it just didn't have the personality to enjoy the circus. Um, Others did. Other elephants loved because they were using reinforcement as well. Um, but this elephant, that the, the owners knew that it just didn't want to do circus, so they um, sent it to the zoo and this elephant did not want to engage with anyone. It didn't want people near it. She was a big old elephant and she was like I would like to attack you all and one person took it on and they started using just the very simple positive reinforcement just a tap food tap food in the end this person worked with this elephant for three or four months and they did the most simple thing and this elephant gave its new trainer this amazing end of show where it bent down and put trunk up and did this incredible move that had never been asked for before. And it was this moment of, you know, I'm, I'm ready and I'm open for everything it is that you're going to do. So that to watch this work across species for me is, what an incredible story. Yeah, and now she um, she is a different elephant. She's still there like we would not turn our back on her and, and we know how to deal with her, but she, we have this beautiful agreement now um, and we are absolutely working in collaboration now, but that took months of that positive reinforcement for her to, to open to that. And you hit on a good point. I think it's 
reasonable for us to make that known to the people that are training. Um, I heard Ken Ramirez say this the other day. It, it, an animal does not forget a behavior. We do know that once a behavior is learned and they, re, they acquire it in their repertoire, it isn't like it just disappears. And you said, we don't turn our back on that elephant. Well said, because we can train new behaviors. We can have them work for those new behaviors because it's in their best interest and they think it's in their best interest. But we do need to be mindful that at some point, these behaviors were learned and they can come back. And um, I, I think we need to be aware of that, which also says, hey, if we're going to be using other methods, well, let's be careful. Or if we're using this method, let's be mindful of how this animal is perceiving the training. Because we can withhold food. We can set up an animal to where they're expecting reinforcement expectations and they're expecting food. And um, can I launch into a slight tangent on this? Definitely. Uh, I think as I watch people learn, we learned to hold on to, do not release the pressure until you get some sort of something that you want and then you release the pressure. That's yes. what we were taught. And honestly, Tracy, I think people still have that mindset but we switch over to positive reinforcement, but we withhold the food. Like, uh, no, nope, yes. nope, that's not, I don't want that. Nope, that's not going to, no, that definitely isn't cut. Nope, nope, not floating my boat. And we will stand there with food. Now we can actually create extinction and extinction-induced rage. So I'm going to say just as we need to be uh, careful with punishment or careful with uh, the negative reinforcement because people that use it can find themselves in a pickle. If there's too much pressure and the animals over threshold, they're going to get hurt, but we don't want to stand there withholding our food either. And that's the other thing I run into is people can be, Oh, I'm going to say stingy because that's what it looks like to me, but I'm going to say in the next breath, when they get educated and realize the slightest try really is the slightest try that we need to be generous with our reinforcers until the behavior's learned, and then we can start changing the timing of our reinforcers. That's a biggie. So we, we want to be mindful that there's still animals and there's still things that we need to consider in terms of what they're learning and how they're learning it. Does that? Absolutely. I love that because it's really important. And there's um, because positive reinforcement training is becoming more popular now, the naysayers are coming out and the the apparent problems I put in parentheses here um, is uh, what people are, are talking about and, and they're talking about how it doesn't work and I'm like, oh, it does. However, if you're using these things, then the horse can become just as despondent about this type of training as it does about every type of training if it's not done correctly in the first place. Get the horse. So back to Susan Freeman, I'm so in agreement with you that, that, okay, our behavior, the purpose of our behavior is to have an effect on the environment, right? Mm -hmm. Behavior is lawful. There are, there's a method to their madness. Horses like any animal, will experiment and try something 
And if it's successful, then the likelihood that they'll try that technique again goes up, right? Or if they meet with, that doesn't meet their expectation and they don't get what they want, then the likelihood is that that behavior will diminish. So behavior is lawful. So if they stand there and offer behavior after behavior, what's their option? You know, it's potentially getting angry or potentially just shutting down and saying, okay, the vending machine <laughs> broke mm -hmm. uh, or you're no fun anymore. This isn't working for me. Yeah. And horses will give their best guess horse you notice if you notice they don't tend to hold their cards they, in their it's like they only have one card in their hand it's an ace they play their best card yeah <laughs> i'm going to give you my best behavior here it is did it work you know they're really fun that way um and after x number of efforts of giving that best card if it's not met with something in terms of their feedback they can give up or get frustrated and I don't want the naysayers to get a hold of that. I want us to be able to go out and say, okay, use my reinforcers wisely and generously to get the behavior I want. I want people to learn all about the technique, just not little bits and pieces. Like I had to go through the frustration and stuff because there just wasn't that much information out there. So now that there's information, let's embrace it. Let's yeah. really learn it. Yeah, it's not something to kind of have a play with. You really need to start at the beginning and um, and start small and, and work on it well. Otherwise, you can create problems like any training, like anything yeah, in like life. Like any training. Mm -hmm. YouTube is full of videos of people running after their horses to punish them and, you know, getting kicked or whatever it is that happens. I mean, bad training is bad training. It's, it doesn't matter what quadrant we're in. Mm -hmm. um, you need to be mindful of it. Yeah, absolutely. So what what are the most important things we need to understand about positive reinforcement training if we're saying this? So we've touched on a few. What else are some really key things that we need to understand and study before we go out and just play with clicking well, food? For for me, I'm going to say I think the the piece of the puzzle I bring and have been trying to bring for the last number of years, um, certainly 10, is that, um, okay, we can get behavior using pressure. We know it works. But other species, other animals, other trainers are using non-pressure techniques. They're learning how to set up the environment that makes the behavior easier to guess for the horse and shaping targeting capturing luring some prompt you know those prompts that we can use we can actually learn how to set it up so that the animal learns from their experience once again that's a biggie for me what's required so for example i hear people say well i want my horse to move forward and the horse isn't moving forward because the horses learn that the person has food and it's a pretty good, pretty good deal and they like to hang around, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Their horses yeah. are no dummies. They, I'm going to hang around with my person. But the horse says, no, I want you to lunge now. And the horse is looking at us like, what went wrong? You're my person and I know this is where the food is, so I, I don't want to go out and walk away from you. So then the person goes back to other techniques that we learned in the past and maybe a lunch whip or something to that to say, get away from me, horse, because I need you to move away. 
So here's where we get into trouble with our, our mixing of our methods here. I'm going to say take that extra step and learn about shaping. So easy to teach a horse to walk forward if you're on one side of the fence and the horse is on the other. And generally speaking, those horses that like us will start to walk to be with us and the fence is in the way and being smart animals, they'll kind of line up with the fence and continue one, two or three steps and that's what you can click capture, reinforce. And they'll learn pretty darn quickly, oh, it's about moving my feet forward. That's what you're looking for. You can set up the environment to shape it back um, the same way. Just have something in front of them, something beside, and you can shape or capture a slight rock back of their weight. So what I'm going to say is learn about these other ways of getting behavior because from my point of view, when an animal learns behavior because they figured it out, I see an even more profound quality of movement. I've, I taught McKee how to do a labad just with shaping. I didn't go through the traditional put pressure and teach him a pee off. I actually captured and shaped walking under his belly with the hind legs through using smaller and smaller pieces of plywood that made him walk further and further under his belly. So I actually shaped him to step up under and then captured the lavade from that move. So if you learn and embrace that there are other ways of teaching behavior than pressure, it can open up a really fun playground. But it takes studying what's required of the move, a canter departure, right? You need to know what's involved in uh, any of the moves that we want. And that's going to take a little bit of homework on the part of the human. So we're back to, you know, come on humans, let's, let's get a little more up to snuff on how can I teach my animal to move forward in a way that's healthy for his body? How can I teach my animal to move forward and not feel like I'm the only answer? How can I teach the front end to move? How can I teach the hind end to move? So all these things that we might value, we can still teach them using shaping. So that's my, that's the other place I like to encourage people to investigate. We don't have to rely on pressure to teach behavior that we can actually use this wonderful playground. And um, there are lots of people talking about that at this point. Yeah, because that's a, there's an interesting thing that you're saying there. And I love this because they've done studies that positive enforcement, positive reinforcement works on a lot of behaviors and especially getting a good halt but the science um, has not found yet that they can use positive reinforcement to get good um, movement out from in the saddle. So I'm oh, really... Oh, see, I, I'm... Ooh. The no. science hasn't caught up me. with it yet is what okay. I said. The science yes. hasn't been done on it yet. They did something where they couldn't find that when they studied it here in Australia at the, at the um, Equitation Science Institute. And I was like, oh. I bet I can oh. find people who can. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. I mean, look at, like I just said, I would love to be able to post that video of the, um, the recalls. Oh, I, I think it's just how it's taught. Um, and in from that- the foundation of training, so from the foundation of how you're doing your positive reinforcement or that exact move. Okay. Let me see if I understand your question. You're saying that... The foundation of 
positive reinforcement is different than that exact move? Is that a separate question? So are you saying, ask me again, Tracy. Yes, so I will do it in a different way. So what I'm saying is, would you teach just that move differently and that moving out under saddle and positive reinforcement needs to be taught in a certain way? Or is it that every move you do gets taught in the same system and structure Therefore, when it comes to movement out from under the saddle, um, the horse is able to understand better. Wow, that's a great question. That's a great question. No, I'm going to say everything to the second part of it. Okay, I think you could say, no, it's the second part because every behavior I shape capture target or prompt whatever to where and then you have to fade these things but using shaping every behavior the animal gets a little better at figuring out what i want it to do with its body mm. every single behavior so yeah. that and if you have time, that that yeah. little system that little thing that's the same every time then they start to learn that okay i I know what to do from here because when I have done this before time and time again, this is, we've moved on from here. Yes. It's about their body. What do you want? What do you want my head to do? What do you want my legs to do? What it's, they know that there's going to be something, some puzzle they can figure out and they get smarter as we train them. And I honestly, I honestly value that. That's one of the things I value the most is their ability to figure out the next puzzle. And mm. if I can set it up to make it easy for them, it's even more fun. Wow. And if I work with something and within 25 clicks, if I think I'm not getting anywhere, I cut, I call the session and go back and figure out a different way to teach it to them because it's my fault, not theirs. Yeah, I totally understand that. And that's the, that's the real key um, of positive reinforcement training, I believe, is that, um, and so many of us need to learn this, me especially, because that you can get um, confused and am I doing it right? And it's coming back to the basics and learning, um, stripping it right back like it is that you do and learning the shaping. And, and Tracy, in the same breath, I was fretting and talking with a wonderful, she's one of the co-founders of Tag Teach International. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's clicker training for people in a sense. And they're working with autistic kids. They're working with writing. I've worked with it in music. I've worked with, with course training. It's phenomenal. But I was kind of fretting saying, ah, Joan, her name is Joan Orr, and uh, you know, I'm watching people and I'm seeing sometimes I think the timing is off and what are we going to do to help make this easier? But she said, Peggy, you need to relax a little bit. She said, because, you know, even people with disabilities, even autistic kids can manage to get behavior from their animals successfully. Wow. And that's an amazing thing if you think about it too, that we really don't have to be, be perfect i mean if you're going to train an animal for a high performance capacity maybe you need to be on your game but i think there's a lot of leeway and especially maybe even more so when we're training with positive reinforcement because it keeps mm. the animal engaged yeah and it also creates a connection and once you have 
connection on a level that's not just in training when you've awakened an animal and they want to be with you it opens a connection whereby the language can change a little bit as well and want to be with you because they have successful interactions yeah reinforcement history is just that yeah wow this person i have lots of successful interactions with yeah and can it be like in the human world sorry can it be like in the human world where i get to know somebody so well i can finish their sentences for them sure doesn't it feel like that to you i mean does it feel like you're with your animal and you realize they get they get more and more comfortable being trained and easier and easier to train because they understand how you both think. <laughs> yeah. So you, your, your language goes beyond even the clicker and the positive reinforcement. If you, if you learn, but what this beautiful work does is it builds the connection to then allow that to unfold. And, and along those lines, um, and I know we don't have a lot of time, but uh, this business of teaching this dialogue, uh, my latest passion is this process of teaching, I'm going to call it a start button. There's so many names for it. But basically, what we have is a way for the animal to tell us they're ready to do a behavior. And especially in husbandry, but I'm finding even if it's ready to do a counter departure, I'm better off if I have a way for the animal to tell me that, yes, bring it on. Yes, bring that shot on. Yes, it's okay if you put a wet cloth on my eye. And that's a huge passion um, that I've been spreading that information with Ava Bertelson, who's a dog trainer, Emily Johnson Bay, who's a dog trainer. We've been giving this lecture at Clicker Expos uh, for several years, and I've started doing lectures just on horses and start buttons. Um, Start buttons, you know, that's kind of a minimalist way of describing what's really happening. But to me, that is exactly what you were describing. That communication is so refined by the time we're developing start buttons. It's, um, it's powerful stuff. That is powerful stuff. It is extraordinary. A start button. I absolutely love it. So they get the, the choice goes to everything. It's like, okay, this needs to happen. You know, there are some things that just need to happen, but you know, you you can you can tell us when you're ready to start. Wow! And so many behaviors we have in our training world can we can afford that moment of oh this yep yeah, we're doing it oh are you yeah we're going we don't have to demand that they do it we are not doing command based training. Yes, if my horse is running towards a street and I have a lead rope and halter on it you're darn straight, that lead rope and halter is going to apply pressure and I'm going to save that animal's life. But No really, question, yeah. Really? Do we, we don't have to do command-based training. We can say, are we walking? Not, my animal doesn't respect me if it doesn't walk with me as I walk off. It's we look at each other and there's that communication and connection you were talking about. Oh, yeah, we're walking off. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's fun stuff. It's amazing stuff. It's beautiful. It really is beautiful. And it is um, what I love about this training is it brings us what we 
got into horses for in the first place. It brings us the dreams that we had when we were kids of the relationship we wanted with our horse and pony. And then we probably had with first ponies um, and then lost in the, human, oh, in, in the adult world. And, and we're now refinding it, which is what I love about it. And I love it. It's, it's very empowering as women from 40 to 60. We're saying, you know, I know what I want now in life. I'm very comfortable with um, speaking up and saying, I, I want this again and I want it now in my adult world. It's a beautiful thing. And I love that this training allows it to happen. You're so, I, it's interesting as you said it, it sparked a memory of a dream. And I used to dream, I had this recurring dream as a kid that there were some hills behind our home. And I dreamt that um, uh, a horse would come out of these hills and come and find me and I could get on his back and we would ride off. And there was never any tack in these dreams. Mm. But this horse would always come to me in my dreams and then we would, we would ride off. Absolutely years I had that dream. Is that yeah. fun? It is beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah, I feel like I'm there. I feel like I'm there. Wow. This is what we're building. That's huge to be able to say that. That's amazing. You really are living your purpose. Wow. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. It's extraordinary. There's, there's striving towards our dream and then there's sitting and living our dream every day and they're, they're two slightly different things. So well done for getting there. Yeah. Interesting that that memory would pop into the conversation. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. What else do we need to know, Peggy? Have we left anything out that you would like to tell us Uh, today? You know, that's, thank you for asking. I, I'm so smitten with that closing image. I'm wondering if that's what we need to, I mean, I have so much I want the world to know. So I would talk for until we both fell over (laughs) to share this information, but you know, I would say learn learn the craft now. There's enough information out that you don't have to go it alone. Not you, but people. You don't yeah. have to go it alone. But in the same breath, I want to honor the science. And you really sparked me with this study that horses don't want to move out because I just, I so want to say, oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I guess that's not my experience. But learn from the science. And, um, Learn, learn where we might have followed folklore and mythology because it sounded good. It, our, our ability to say, that sounds good, I'm going to do it, maybe isn't the final answer. We need to do a little research and say, okay, is it, you know, really do I have to have respect, quote unquote, for my horse to be effective? Let's take a look at what we're hearing and measure it by a little bit different standards than um, what we might have learned in the past. That was my big lesson from the, my first, you know, the first teachers where I believed what they said because it made sense. Mm. And then I learned, Hey, there's more measures of than It just made sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Peggy, where can we find you? I'll have all the links in the show notes, um, but tell us, where can we find you? I know you've got a couple of websites. I do. It was, um, but we should listen both. I'm slowly but surely going to fade one and redirect, but the the most tech-friendly modern one is the one called clickertraininghorses.com. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest to remember. Great. <laughs> 
my business name is the best whisperer is a click, which is so cool and nobody finds it. So many ways. Yes. So that's why I got clickertraininghorses.com. But those are both websites. I am really active on Facebook. So clicker training horses dash Peggy Hogan and I have groups and we do online courses and so you'll find me easily on Facebook. And then again I speak um, train speak with Clicker Expo, train around. In fact I might be coming to Australia in twenty twenty. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I was in New Zealand this last year and so it's fun. Wonderful. Well, um, all speakers on the podcast are always welcome to let me know of uh, when they're coming and we'll definitely organise you to do some um, workshops up and around where we are. No question about it. We'd love to have you. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Mm, So we'll talk about that more for sure. But for now, Peggy, thank you so much for your time today. But most of all, thanks for everything that you're doing for horses It's my mission and my passion to make the world a better place for horses and you are doing it. So welcome to the family and the community and thank you. Thank you, thank you. And you are too, Tracy. It's we're all doing this. We're all in this together. We certainly are. To connect with Peggy, you can click on the links in the show notes or you can go to the podcast page on my website at EdenRiverEquestrian.com. I'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that all their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts or tell your friends about the podcast. You will find all the links to our social media on our new website, EdenRiverEquestrian.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. For now, our social media handles will all stay at Come Along for the Ride. In the coming weeks, we'll transition everything over to Eden River Equestrian. If your friends don't know how to podcast, Just send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who would love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd really love it if you'd get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you would like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine, so please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. Once again, that's EdenRiverEquestrian.com. A huge thanks to those who do get in touch and give me ideas and names of people to interview. I love the people you are bringing my way, whose story I can share with all of you in our community. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.